Welcome to episode 59 of Contested Catch. It is, of course, our week eight recap. We're taking a look back at this past weekend. But Jeff, we're also recording on Election Day. So, you know, this is obviously our Election Day special episode. We're going to break down the 2020 presidential election, all the hot button issues. And Jeff, let's just start with this. Who'd you vote for? (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. We're not actually going to do any of that. Uh, Completely apolitical show over here. But um, we are talking about the weekend. And we are going to talk about week eight. So that's always good. Jeff, how's everything going? Hey, hey, Will. Uh, You know, as we mentioned last weekend or last week's episode, uh, Halloween, one of my favorite holidays. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I I did celebrate it pretty, pretty well, but was not able to uh, submit our DraftKings lineups on Sunday as a result. But Mm, that's all right. It's okay. We are. We discussed it. Yeah. yeah, we're we're feeling pretty good. Um, you know, like as you said, pretty uh big day for the nation. It's interesting here in the nation's capital. You know, got some very interesting point of views from uh, different House staffers over the weekend. So, mm. uh, I don't know. Be I'm kind of disappointed that we're not able to go to any election parties this year, though. Yeah. True. True. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one for sure. Um, before we take a look ahead at, or, you know, take talk about what happened last week and take a look ahead at what this week holds, uh, let's give a, a quick Scott Fishbowl 10 update. That's SFBX. You probably, if you've been following along Contested Catch, you probably saw our episodes uh, beginning or in the middle of the summer related to SFBX strategy and just kind of what it's all about. Well, anyways, if you don't know, uh, basically it is a 1,440 team tournament season-long tournament, uh, 120 12-person teams that consist of both fantasy analysts, celebrities, and fans. Um, and so anyway, uh, Contessa catches in there. And happy to report that the team is 38th right now out of 1,400 teams. So really, really excited about that. Thrilled with the progress so far. Um, and just to give everyone a reminder in case you didn't catch the, the breakdown of the draft, basically what we did was a late-round quarterback strategy Keep in mind, this is a this is a very strange scoring format where quarterbacks can oftentimes score negative points, and good quarterbacks are really valuable. But still, we had late round quarterback strategy. So Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Nick Foles, formerly the starter Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, worked out really well so far. Tight end waiver wire has been big for us, and uh, we're carried by the studs by the likes of uh, Alvin Kamara, DK Metcalf, Tyreek Hill. Antonio Gibson. I mean, Miles Sanders hasn't even really played that much for us, but um, he's obviously a part of that as well. Allen Robinson, Robert Woods, a lot of really good players, um, and it's it's working out really well so far. So we're seven and one, thirty eighth overall. Really good points per game. I think we're probably going to dip this week, Jeff, just because we got a lot of buys uh, in week nine. But at the same time, we'll we'll put our best foot forward and then hopefully continue to. Um, definitely, you know, want to stay at the top of our division so that we can secure that buy. And then, you know, it is what it is once we get to the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, man, so pretty good so far. Any additional thoughts on, uh, SFBX so far? Oh, it's been great. Um, you know, very happy that I was able to, uh, talk you into Kamara over MT in the first round. As am I. Well, it wasn't really MT. It was more so, uh, Travis Kelsey is who I was thinking. Oh, okay. um, but, but still, well, I mean, no, cause I definitely wouldn't have taken, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken, uh, Thomas at that point. I would have taken Adams if I went wide receiver, but, um, yeah, I'm very glad because that was like, I would say of all the picks, that was the one that you had the most influence over was who do we go at six and Kamara's been, you know, the number, the best choice we could have made. Absolute, absolute nut pick. 
Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about Kamara and then just kind of the the top tier running back landscape a little bit later. Let's move on to the injury update section now, Jeff. And we're going to start in Green Bay. Uh, it doesn't look likely for Aaron Jones to suit up in week nine. He's still coming back from that calf strain. Um, you know, two weeks ago, he said he was ready to go, but that the medical staff was holding him out. So I don't know if he's just kind of, you know, playing a tough guy act or something. But I mean, this is about to be, his, I think, his third missed game. And now A.J. Dillon tested positive for COVID. So he's definitely out this week. Uh, short turnaround Thursday night game. Jamal Williams is very unlikely. He was told not to practice on Monday. He was in close proximity to A.J. Dillon. Obviously, they're both running backs, so it makes sense. Um, and he's very unlikely for this week's game. So we're going to talk about replacements. But, you know, just to put it on everyone's radar, Jamal Williams is like highly, highly questionable for Thursday night. A.J. Dillon obviously not playing. If you have a COVID IR spot in your league, he's a decent stash, I suppose, although he hasn't given us much to be that excited about. And then, unfortunately, Aaron Jones just doesn't seem like he's making his return quite yet. So that's Green Bay. Um, we're, like I said, we're going to talk about some replacements later when we get to our waiver wire section in Jacksonville, though, the, there might be a quarterback change. It looks very, very light. Well, there definitely is because Gardner Minshew is ruled out for week nine. He's got a thumb injury, but the quarterback appears to be sixth round rookie Jake Luton. Uh, I think it's Luton. Maybe it's Lutton, like gluttonous. I'm not sure. Um, not, not guy who's super high on my radar, but, uh, he's a rookie and, you know, Big guy, big arm, decent college career. But uh, I, th- I would say this, Jeff, you know, I think there's risk in starting any Jaguar in week nine coming out of the bye. And uh, even even um, even James R.B. Onson. And even then, his ceiling is definitely lowered. So I want to bring this up, though, Jeff, because with the quarterback change, Gardner Minshew has kind of this, uh, I guess, air of being competent because he had a really good run as a rookie last year. He had okay moments this year but overall he's really struggled and we know the talent is there for the likes of dj chark and in the last three weeks chark is unbelievably sixth in rock despite putting up basically no points he's the number one under producer in the rock um with this new quarterback you know it initially appears to be a major downgrade as a six-round rookie but is it actually is chark a better flex option this week than he has been with Minshew? i'm interested to get your thoughts jeff um i honestly have no clue i'm like have no familiarity with this quarterback. So, um, I mean, I think from what I was reading, he has like decent physical tools. So, you know, it's not like definitely a downgrade, but um, yeah, I think the just one thing I want to know is that this hand injury from Minshew does not appear to have been self-inflicted the way the one he had in college was. Right, right. Um, Gardner Minshew the third, first of his name. Uh, the legend was that he was a red shirt and he was supposed to be uh, coming, like getting his red shirt pulled. So, because they had some injuries at quarterback to play, and it was late in the season. So, he didn't want to suit up for like one or two games, lose his red shirt, but not actually play. So, he just like started chugging a bunch of bottle of whiskey and took a hammer and was trying to like break his hand. So that way he would not be able to play and maintain his red shirt. Couldn't break it, drink more whiskey, hit it again. And was just, but could, was not able to actually break his hand, but had it extremely swollen. I can't remember if he, I think because his hand was so swollen, he wasn't able to actually hold the ball anyway. So mission sort of successful. <laughs> uh, but this is not a self-inflicted injury. Correct. In fact, it was actually, it's a gritty thing, man. He, he, uh, he 
kept this on the DL. Apparently, he's not going to face any discipline by not disclosing um, this injury. But it's a thumb injury, a fracture, I believe. And I think that he probably saw that this is his real chance to prove that he can be a starter in the league. As you know, the the Jags are um, racing towards the bottom. Very likely to pick a quarterback in this next draft. So, but anyway, yeah. So this is an interesting situation in Jacksonville. I'm not exactly sure if we can be confident one way or another how this is going to go. But I will say, I mean, DJ Chark, at the very least, if he continues to see the same volume, there's a chance that he gets better, uh, you know, more accurate passes his way. He's been complaining about the quarterback play for a while. So, all right, well, moving on, Jeff. George Kittle is unfortunately out eight weeks, it appears. Um, He got injured this week. Really, really big loss for a lot of people. I mean, I had him all over my uh, exposure uh, across leagues and formats. So that one really hurts. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is also out indefinitely. He was apparently, you know, it appeared that he was rushed back from that high ankle injury. Uh, he, he's a technically a candidate for IR if he's really out indefinitely. And so I think the 49ers are just kind of saying our entire team is just shot right now. Let's not risk Jimmy's long-term health. Maybe they're even looking towards the future already. But anyway, Jordan Reed, the backup tight end who was signed, uh, going into the season, obviously, you know, former great, uh, fantasy football tight end top three option. Um, He may return as early as this week, and Nick Mullins is the quarterback. Jeff, thoughts on this San Francisco passing game? We're going to talk about Ayuk in a little bit, but I'm interested to see what you think about these two replacements. So Nick Mullins actually has um, a higher target share to tight ends, I believe, than Jimmy G did. And that was like independent of whether or not Kittle was healthy because, you know, he's been in and out with injuries. So I do think that, uh, Jordan Reed and maybe even uh, Ross Dwelly are like solid streaming candidates. And then and we're looking at a super consolidated like passing attack now also with Debo Samuel being out. It's Brandon Ayuk, it's Jordan Reed, it's Ross Dwelly, it's Kendrick Bourne. And then even in the backfield is uh, Jamichael Hasty and Jarek McKinnon. So we're talking like six players to spread the ball around too. Even like if the offense isn't that good, that is such consolidated volume that um you know i think you have some still like really good fancy players in um ayuk reed and then you know maybe even both uh mckinnon and hasek mckinnon could almost function as the wide receiver three in the offense plus a handful of carries um well hasty seems to be the preferred running back at this point um so i think you know like i said it's not going to be fun to actually watch the team but for fantasy, like, I think the production will be there easily enough. But, Jeff, you're completely forgetting about Juice. Kyle Juszczyk, the number one fullback in the league. He gets a short yardage back. He gets used in the passing game. Now, I'm like, you know, tongue-in-cheek here. But um, in, in all actuality, I think there actually are going to be some weeks where he has, like, a touchdown or two and, you know, a couple touches. He just gets used so creatively in that offense. It's honestly really cool uh, as a former fullback myself at a time in my career. Um, okay, anyway, we're moving on to Indianapolis now. Jonathan Taylor, Jeff, obviously we were super excited about him, uh, especially once Marlon Mack went down because it just seemed like it was Jonathan Taylor's season. He was going to be an RB1. He's been in a rough patch uh, for many weeks now, but week eight was even worse because he came out of it with a little bit of an ankle injury. And maybe even worse than that, Jordan Wilkins, the backup running back, you know, not named Naheem Hines, looked much, much better on the ground and the elusive elusiveness numbers uh strongly favor wilkins 
And really, just overall, Jonathan Taylor has not looked like the player we were expecting coming into the season. Maybe this ankle injury just came up this week. Maybe it's been dogging him. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. But how concerned are you about Jonathan Taylor uh, going forward right now? Uh, so in regards to the ankle injury first, it sounds like it really just came up like right towards the end of the week or beginning of the game. And that's like likely why the elusive miss just wasn't there. I mean, we've seen it so often. Like, I mean, we, we've harped on those ankle injuries for like very frequently on this show. Um, but like, it is definitely concerning. We don't know how severe it is considering that he played through it. I would guess that it's not terribly severe. Um, the matchup next week against Baltimore, is just awful. And I don't think you can start Taylor. Um, I mean, I, I probably, I would pick up Wilkins, but I wouldn't really start him either. Um, you know, what, what's interesting to me is that coming into the draft, Taylor's like profile was very strong in the rushing with like, or at least the general consensus profile, strong rusher, weak receiver. The NFL has been the complete opposite. He's been one of the most efficient uh, receiving backs, especially in the rookie class. But then it's the ground game where he struggled and like the vision doesn't seem to be there. And um, you said like, no, we don't know exactly when the ankle injury started. Was it just this first game or like this last game? Was it, you know, a few weeks ago maybe? And he's just been trying to play through it. Um, no idea. But after the Baltimore game, he has a really good schedule. Should he be able to take, you know, get back to healthy and get that, uh, 60, 65% running back share that we wanted. Um, now that's still kind of an if, because like we said, you know, health is an issue. Is he going to, uh, outproduce Wilkins again? I mean, Cause Wilkins really didn't look that good throughout the season. Like this was the only game that he's looked good. So I still think that a healthy Taylor is definitely better than, uh, than Jordan Wilkins, but you, you do need him to be healthy. I don't know, man. I, to be completely honest, I think Jordan Wilkins has, has been better than his numbers would indicate. And I mean, I don't blame them at all for giving Jonathan Taylor the majority of the touches uh, when he has been healthy. But I think uh, I think Jordan Wilkins is definitely worth an ad. Um, I'm adding him in SFBX partly because of our bye week situation. But in the event that Jonathan Taylor's ankle injury is worse than they're letting on or just that Wilkins continues to outperform him. I mean, he looked good. And it also was really unfortunate. Jonathan Taylor, I think he had a goal line carry that was stuffed at the one and the offensive line just got like shoved back. And the very next play, Jordan Wilkins gets a uh, an easy, easy rushing touchdown. So um, anyway, it, it's something worth monitoring. I don't think Jonathan Taylor's stock is like rock bottom or anything. If anything, it might be a good buy, buy low opportunity if you do really believe in the talent and don't think this is that serious. But at the same time, man, I mean, we've been talking about Jonathan Taylor as a buy low for a while now, and he hasn't given us a whole lot to be that excited about with the exception of uh, above ex expectation pass work. So moving over to Detroit now, Kenny Galladay's out with an injury again. This time it's a hip. Uh, there's no doubt he was missing this week, um, which is looking ahead to week nine already, which does not bode well for him at all. Uh, Marvin Jones had two touchdowns in his absence, but I think the real beneficiaries here are TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. We know Swift is obviously the preferred pass catching back. His role is expanding. Adrian Peterson's snap share continues to decline over the last five games. So, uh, any additional thoughts on Detroit here as we're looking at potentially another extended absence from Kenny Galladay? 
Uh, just add that I think Marvin Hall could be a deeper league flyer to, you know, get some opportunity with Galladay gone. Um, you know, deep leagues only, though. Okay. Um, all right, Jeff, let's move over to our fantasy football takeaway section here. We're going to start with J.K. Dobbins. The Baltimore running back situation has been a three-headed monster so far this season. Mark Ingram gets injured. They go on by. He doesn't come back. J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards basically split work. Dobbins was clearly favored on pass downs. But with this said, Jeff, J.K. Dobbins continued to look like the number one option, like the the best option, I should say, not the number one usage option. Um, I think you know he did everything he could have. We could have asked for for him to earn more work. Do you think that this bodes really, really well for J.K. Dobbins to see some more going forward? And as you know, Mark Ingram's is Mark Ingram is probably questionable, if not doubtful, for Week Nine. I hope so. Um, you know, he they spent a second round draft pick on him for a reason. He's got, we, you know, we've seen the great burst, and um, you know, to the extent that Lamar actually passes to running backs, he is the favored player. Um, you know, it wasn't the best matchup, but things should get better. Um, you know, I think for me, it's like, I mean, I still think you can fire him up. The big concern just overall is like the offense just doesn't quite look right. I guess it's not the same like Ravens offense that we saw last year. Um, but no, I still love the talent and Dobbins. And as long as Mark Ingram's on the sideline, it's really tough to have like that much better of a situation. I like Dobbins as a buy still. Uh, I think that this is basically everything you could ask for with based on the reality that we knew existed in Baltimore. And so, you know, the hope is that he continues to earn more work. We'll see. I mean, they love Gus Edwards. So we'll talk a little bit more about Edwards uh, later on. But now, Jeff, Brandon Ayuk season. He is 19th in rock the last three weeks. He put up eight for 91 in a touchdown on 11 targets without Debo Samuel in, um, in week eight. And then before that, in week seven, when Samuel went out early, he put up six for 115. That was like basically his breakout performance. So uh, I think Brandon Ayuk should be rostered in all formats. And this is just kind of an additional uh, note considering George Kittle's now out and Nick Mullins seemed serviceable, at least with this condensed passing offense. Jeff, there's another breakout performance I think we need to mention. And it's, it's again, kind of like the second breakout. It's very similar to what he did earlier in the season. But Damian Harris. 16 carries, 102 yards, and a touchdown. He had he had a bl- bunch of chunk gains. Um, awfully similar final line to his debut earlier in the season in week four against Kansas City. 17 carries, 100 yards, no touchdowns in that one. But I, you know, I was talking about him last week because I felt that New England had to lean on him more at the pass game struggling. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Now it's worth noting that New England still clearly favors Rex Burkhead and James White in clear pass pass situations. So we cannot look at, you know, Damian Harris as a locked in RB2 or anything like that. But with that said, the past game has been so bad that I think that they're going to continue to be more and more run focused. And I think that's going to support RB3 and flex value uh, for Damian Harris going forward. And specifically looking ahead to week nine, at first glance, it might not be the best matchup because the New York Jets uh, defense is actually pretty stout against the run. But with that said, we we're looking for game script with Damian Harris, and uh, that should be there in Week Nine. So I like him in Week Nine. I like his value going forward. Uh, I probably wouldn't go out and pay too much for him, maybe with the exception of Dynasty, because he's basically just a better version of Sony Michelle, if you ask me. And that includes the role. So any additional thoughts on Damian Harris there, Jeff? No, I'll just add that um, 
he had like a, about 35 to 40% snap share again, which isn't ideal. Um, you know, he looked like he probably earned a larger opportunity going forward, but you know, you do want to see a larger work share. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was even seeing multiple instances of New England deploying both Rex Burkhead and James White. And this is kind of what I talked about last week as well, where I thought James White would be uh, potentially fill in more as a slot weapon, which is exactly what happened. He would motion from the backfield into the slot and Rex Burkhead would be back there. But there really wasn't any question. Like Damian Harris was the offense for many points of the game. And so, yeah, it's some speculation and some projecting uh, changes in, in, I guess, offensive strategy and deployment. Um, you know, that's never uh, a sure thing, but worth noting at the very least. Um all right, Jeff, I want to talk about top-tier running backs right now, specifically Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara. We already talked about Kamara, um, you know, and we were talking about the SFBX breakdown, but he's getting wide receiver one usage on top of his rushing work. Meanwhile, Dalvin Cook has had a touchdown in every game this season. He just had four, including one receiving in week eight. Uh, he looks like the best runner in the game right now among all active, healthy players. Uh, who would you rather have rest of season, Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara? Um, it like, I mean, we're splitting hairs here. So, um, you know, look at Kamara, he gets, uh, two games against Atlanta still, uh, Kansas city. And then, I mean, if you get to the championships, it's actually new Orleans versus Minnesota. So, you know, that would be a, you know, just kind of an interesting good game stack. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, um, cook, he does have some some smash games against, or what should be smash games against Dallas, Carolina and Jacksonville, but he has a couple tougher games with two against Chicago and then one against Tampa Bay. Um, But not that it really matters because you're still going to fire up both of them, no matter what barring injury. Um, I guess if you wanted to go like the bear, if you wanted to make the case for Dalvin over Kamara, it's going to be that once uh, Michael Thomas and some of the other receiving options in that offense come back that Kamara's unlikely to see the same um, receiving share that is propelling him to uh, like overall, to, like to the higher numbers. So, uh, but like, you know, and then the case for Kamara might be like, Oh, Hey, like Calvin Cook already missed a game due to injury. Um, you know, perhaps he's a little bit more prone to miss another one this year. If like, he's not a hundred percent healthy, but like, we just saw him go for 31, 63 and four touchdowns, um, two for 63 in the air. Like, I think he's pretty healthy. So, um, you know, we're splitting hairs here. Uh, give me Kamara because he's my guy. <laughs> That's very fair. I think, uh, I think if, if you're going to make a judgment rest of season, you have to think both. Okay. Both are seeing elite usage in different ways. Uh, if there is one that is more likely to stay at this level, I think it is definitely Cook because Kamara is on a historic pace right now. Uh, you know, he's he's going to right now, if he stays at this pace, he's going to shatter running back receiving records all over the place. And we know this is also without Michael Thomas for the first half of the season, basically. So, like you said, if he comes back, I think Kamara's receiving work goes down and Dalvin Cook is remains the face and the engine of that Minnesota offense, for better or worse. Um, okay. Jeff, Antonio Brown is stepping into the lineup in week nine with Chris Godwin is questionable. I'm not sure if he's going to play. I don't really, you know, I mean, again, finger injury. So maybe that's not that big a deal for him. I don't know. I mean, he needs his hands to catch. So 
Uh, not really sure how to project that one, but Antonio Brown is going to be in the lineup, it looks like. Now, we don't know, is he going to see a full workload? Is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a situational player? And they're just going to try to get him some snaps. How willing are you uh, to start Antonio Brown as a potential flex option with a lot of bye weeks out there right now? I think he's fine. Um, you know, there's a little bit of familiarity with Brady already from like a week and a half in New England. He played with under Bruce Arians in Pittsburgh. So um, I don't know. I think you know, that that ceiling is too high. Like, no, I think you, you don't want to have him on your bench and go off for like 20 something points, I guess. So, um, you know, it depends on what your other options are, but I think he's definitely fine to fire up in like that flex wide receiver three area. Yeah. You know, we only saw him play uh, one week with new England last year, but he got eight targets from Brady, four catches, 56 yards and a touchdown. I don't know. You know, I don't, he's really done a, a fantastic job um, to his credit of staying out of the spotlight the last few months i guess you could say great so team yeah well whoever is whoever is helping him right now it's working and uh i think if nothing else uh he's got a high ceiling like you said and with if chris godwin is banged up not 100 percent or not playing we know mike evans is used kind of in a limited fashion as a red zone option so there's a good chance that antonio brown could see more work than a normal uh player in his role would just because of you know trying to get him involved in that sort of thing. So again, I agree. Interesting uh, flex option this week. Jeff Pittsburgh. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster led the team in receiving last week. Chase Claypool had a fumble. Deontay Johnson disappeared again. Uh, he had a early early game hamstring injury. How are you going to play this Pittsburgh wide receiver room, knowing that it's kind of changing week to week? But whoever is the lead dog is putting out pretty dominant performances. Um, I think it's time to get back on the juju train. So I, I think he was playing through an injury for most of the beginning of the year Um, weeks, you know, three, five, six, looking at around like a 15% target share week seven, that jumped up to about 27% and then stayed 25% in week eight. So really, I think he's just finally healthy. He's looking sharper. I think his, uh, expected yak or yak over expected on exchange stats have gone up the last couple of weeks. So I really think the biggest thing like nagging at Juju to start the year was the injury. And now that he's healthy, uh, he's creating separation, uh, creating yak, and he's going to be the wide receiver one going forward as long as he stays healthy. And then I think wide receiver two, if healthy is Deontay Johnson, but as you've seen this year, it has been, that has been a huge if. Yeah, I mean, the, I definitely agree with the latter point about it being an if for his health. Uh, it's just uh, it's unbelievable. I'm getting absolutely killed because the moment I bench him, he erupts. And then if I put him back in, he gets an in-game injury and disappears again. It's just I know a lot of fantasy managers are feeling the same kind of frustration. Unfortunately, we can't quite use that to color our decisions going forward because it's just these are unpredictable things. And so therefore, we can't determined that they're going to be consistent. Oh, he's always going to get hurt in game or he's always going to go off when you don't want to play him. So don't overthink it. He's still getting solid volume whenever he's really, really healthy. Jeff, I actually do have a slight, you know, issue with saying that that Juju is the wide receiver one going forward, because I, I mean, we've seen one game now. I think it's only one game all year where he has been the lead, uh, the lead wide receiver. 
And this was with an in-game injury from Deontay Johnson and just kind of was phased out. So it's a good time to get Judy Smith-Schuster or at least just to feel better about putting him in your flex because people probably have been limping along without him doing much. But I don't think that this is a clear wide receiver one situation for Juju quite yet. I mean, if he does it another week or two, the buy low window might be closed. But at the same time, like Deontay has been getting ridiculous volume, like 30% target share in every game that he's been truly healthy in. And Chase Claypool, we know, is has had takeover games where he's been the downfield threat and Deontay or Juju just re- remained underneath options. And er- even Eric Ebron has been getting work. So I don't know that Juju's value has has come is even coming close to recouping what we thought it might be, especially like last year or something like that. So, but you know, that's a that's a situation we'll have to continue to monitor. Um, moving on to Seattle, you called the two touchdown performance for DJ Dallas uh, going into this week. I have a, I, not a counterpoint, but I guess some color I would like to add to it. But first, I will give you your moment uh, and congratulate you on calling the Thomas Rawlsian uh, performance from DJ Dallas. So well done, Jeff. Oh, oh thank you. You're not going to take a bow? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I actually did take a bow. Oh, good, good. good. <laughs> well, uh, bows don't show up on a uh, podcast, so they do not. verbal bow. Verbal bow. Um, my, my color that I'd like to add to this is that DJ Dallas scored a one-yard rushing touchdown and a two-yard receiving touchdown. He had five targets, caught all five for 17 yards, 18 carries, 41 yards, I believe it was or maybe it's 47 yards. Anyway, one of the most inefficient performances you could imagine. Definitely, definitely looked like a rookie out there. Um, and there was just no one. I mean, he there were 20, um, 20 carries in the game, and 18 of them went to Tom or went to Thomas Ross. 18 of them went to DJ Dallas. So I think that there is a uh there's more to this story. I don't think he's like this, oh my God, he's gonna take over the backfield or anything like that. I think it was more so this was the upper bound of what what was capable of happening in, in this week where Seattle offense continues to roll. He actually did get all of the work. Um, no one else really was healthy. And so kudos to anyone who, who fired up DJ Dallas, uh, including our friend Joe Aronson, who beat me on DJ Dallas's back um, this week, which sucked. But at the same time, I think we need to recognize reality in that this was not like an all-world performance. This isn't something that I would say earns him a lot of usage going forward, more so just a, a culmination of situation and reasonable average to below average play. Is that fair? Sure. Also, DK Metcalf is an animal. <laughs> Absolutely took over that game. Oh, dude. He's, I mean, honestly, like going into next year, Jeff, even with everyone healthy, is DK Metcalf like approaching like wide Tier receiver one. five? Tier one wide receiver, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see how you can even with Tyler Lockett uh, D- Dynasty. I definitely think that at this point we're looking at him as wide receiver one in Dynasty. Um, yeah, it's one A one B between Metcalf and Brown. AJ Brown. Yeah, yeah. For a second, I was like, wait. wait. <laughs> I mean, I know we just talked about Antonio Brown. But, <laughs> um, yeah, even then, I I take I take DK. I think the I think the uh, the volume the sheer volume that he's likely to yeah, see and in fact, quarterback you know, he's play really tied to the best deep ball passer like maybe ever ever yeah I mean it's him um, and Holmes so yeah agreed um, okay so good stuff there Dallas Goddard returned uh, in week eight against Dallas in Sunday Night Football I want you know I want to say that he's eased into the offense but he saw eighty four percent of snaps and really it was just like every play he was blocking it was so unfortunate he only got two targets. 
Uh, he did get 11 routes from the slot, which is really good. That was per Adam Levitan. Um, Jeff, as you pointed out, he saw two targets, but that was the same as rookie cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys, Trayvon Diggs. So not very good uh, in that regard. Obviously, that's a joke referencing the picks that were thrown. Um, meanwhile, I mean, great J- ball tracking skills on that like post route. By Diggs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a baller, dude. I was a big fan of him. He was a borderline first first round pick, late, uh, early second round pick talent for me um, in this draft. And I you know I just couldn't believe how far he fell. Um, obviously, the younger brother of, of one of our favorite players, Stephon Diggs. So uh, there's mm-hmm. some good bloodlines there. But, um, I mean, as you mentioned, he did stay in to block a lot. And that was one of my... Like biggest concerns on him coming into the season was that because of how the uh, Eagles offensive line was already getting hammered with injuries, that because he was a better blocker than Zach Ertz, he would end up like in you know a better player, uh, would, but was still going to end up blocking more. So that would leave Ertz to uh, run routes, and um, you know. So I guess the hope is that uh, Lane Johnson. Uh, ends up getting healthier and the offensive line maybe works a little bit better so that Goddard is able to run more routes and they don't have to keep him in as the sixth blocker. Um, so I, I, I think we should see brighter days ahead, but you know, that was like a little bit of a concern from like an X and O perspective where, yeah, we think he's probably a better receiver and a better blocker, but just because he's the better blocker, he's not going to get as much receiving work. Um, but you know, I think there's, Still reason to uh, think that he'll see a lot more than the two targets you just saw. Yeah, I think that if anything, this would allow for a buy opportunity for Dallas Goddard because I think people have, just because of his extended absence since week three, I think it was, or maybe week two when he got injured, I can't remember exactly which, but he's been out for many, many weeks. And Dallas er, and Zach Ertz is expected to be out for many weeks more. We always said if Dallas Goddard gets this tight end room to himself, obviously Richard Rodgers is there, but you know, a couple weeks ago you wouldn't have even known that. Um, if if no or Zach Ertz, Dick, Dick Rod, as he's known in the biz, <laughs> Dick Rod, fair enough. <laughs> uh, if Dallas Goddard gets no Zach Ertz, that he is probably a top five, top four, top three tight end option. Um, like basically faults him into elite territory. Well, guess what? That is the case. He saw 84% of snaps, only two targets, like we said. I think that this is a blip and maybe just them, you know, easing him back in, not asking him to do too much. Maybe it's just game script. Um, and and Dallas or in, uh, Philly didn't feel like they needed to do too much against Dallas because they were facing Ben DiNucci. I don't know. Um, I just know that this did not feel like at all what we should expect for, or what we would have expected for Dallas Goddard as the tight end one option. Meanwhile, Jeff, Jalen Ragor saw seven targets in his return to the lineup, and Travis Fulgham still led the team with eight. And I think for Ragor, it's it's incredibly encouraging because he also led the team with two red zone targets. He had one touchdown. He barely scored it. I mean, he got bumped off the, the goal line and then reached out and actually extended to get it. And he also got a two-point conversion. So I think Jalen Ragor's return to the lineup, he probably did you know only three catches for 16 yards in that touchdown. But at the same time, I think very, very quietly encouraging uh, return to the lineup. And then Travis Fulgham, I guess it's just great to see that he's still getting volume, uh, despite all the, uh, you know, the skill positions returning to the lineup. So any additional thoughts in Philadelphia there? Uh, nope. You know, the receiving breakdown between Reagan Fulgham is more or less what I expected. And I mean, the big concern is just how rough Carson Wentz looked. 
yeah. And going into the bye, I mean, I doubt they're going to make a quarterback change, but at some point, it's it. We're getting to the point where it's like, if Philadelphia is Philadelphia just going to punt the season because they're afraid to make a drastic move, or are they going to actually give Jalen Hurts some some opportunities here? I don't know. We'll see. Um, if they do, if if Jalen Hurts gets like gets a start somewhere. I, I'm absolutely picking him up in any format where I have a questionable quarterback situation because we know that that skills. It's the same thing I said with Lamar as a rookie. It didn't quite pan out. He was basically just a an RB two at the quarterback position. But um, Jalen Hurts' skill set and I think that the skill positions there will warrant big fantasy days uh, for a guy that maybe just make slightly better decisions than Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz has actually had really solid uh, fantasy weeks. It's, it's just mainly on the back of above average rushing production. So anyway, Jeff, I think it's time to talk waiver wire now, and we're going to wrap up here, uh, starting with running backs. Dexter Williams is a former practice. I think it was a six round pick for the, for the Packers. He was on the practice squad. 621. Yeah. Out of of Notre Dame. Um, No, best comparable on player profile pro player profiler is no Sean Moreno. Um, You know, wasn't the best back, but, you know, he, he's stayed around for a while. Um, so Dexter Williams, 76th percentile college dominator rating, 77th percentile yards per carry, uh, pretty average speed, uh, plus burst score overall, like, you know, basically an average NFL athlete, nothing spectacular, but as you mentioned earlier in the episode, like the entire running back room could be out on Thursday night football. So, I mean, that's, you know, Basically, you know, DJ Dallas situation all over again. Exactly. The the DJ Dallas situation. And honestly, the 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 case I made against him is the same as this one, which is that we have not seen anything from Dexter Williams in his pro career that would give us a ton of optimism about, you know, firing him up there uh, as anything more than like a flex and an upside flex. But I was wrong with DJ Dallas. Everything uh, coincided to it or, you know, came together for a big fantasy week. Um, there's also Tyler Irvin though, and it's worth mentioning, you know, he kind of, he's kind of floated around the league. What I, I've, what I've seen from him is that he has been used like as a jet motion guy this, this year, whenever I've watched Packers games, I've seen Tyler Irvin jetting across the formation, getting a handoff, maybe a touch pass, something like that. Um, I don't, I think he's kind of transitioned into more of a gadget type player. So even though he's actually been getting more work than Dexter Williams has, uh, I don't know that that will necessarily change. Maybe just a, a few more standard RB touches, but that Green Bay situation is really up in the air. Uh, I, I, you know, it's it's really unfortunate because it, this would have been a good opportunity for AJ Dillon to get some, more than five carries. But honestly, at this point, twenty twenty, AJ Dillon does not appear to be even close to happening. So, um, but another guy that we want to bring up for the waiver wire section is Cam Akers, Jeff, and as you point out, he's thirty point five percent owned in ESPN leagues. They are on a buy. Daryl Henderson left with a thigh injury in week eight, and he has no t- t- timetable to return. Now, that offense, L.A. offense, looked so bad. Maybe a lot of it had to do with Miami's defense being actually decent or really, really good. I'm not exactly sure which which was the case, but, you know, what's your thought on Cam Akers here? Um, yeah, so he obviously has not done a lot uh, since he had that injury. Um but we mentioned earlier that this was, even though he only missed, I think, like one or two games, that um, 
the type of rib injury that was described, some people said like, Hey, this is actually something that usually takes like four to six weeks to like recover from, especially like, from a pain perspective, even if the structural risk isn't there. So if he really hasn't been playing much because of you know the injury and not so much because of a you know a talent thing, then uh, he could finally be healthy after this bye and just be like an, an absolute nut spot down the stretch if Daryl Henderson misses um, some time. And like, in the few touches he got towards the end of the Miami game, he looked good. Uh, if you saw that one clip um, on his 19-yard reception, I think he made like three or four defenders miss. So. Um, you know, the talent um, is oh, possibly there. And then if the if the talent is like kind of what we thought coming into the season and the situation is now just him and Malcolm Brown, I mean, he's really like in a smash spot. It's a good point. It's a very, very good point, Jeff. And the other thing is it's worth reminding everyone that he was a second round pick. Uh, he was, Third. in fact. No, he's a second round pick. Oh, they had two second round picks. They had two second round picks. He went and then oh, okay. Van Jefferson was a couple picks later. Um, but so he was a second round pick that that's obviously great investment for running back after they had already taken Daryl Henderson, uh, the year before in the third round, but also Sean McVay has been very insistent that it's not anything that Cam Akers is doing. That's keeping him off the field. It was just that, you know, they were doing well with Daryl Henderson. And now if he's out, I mean, it's not like he's been like Cam Akers needs to, you know, work on some things or, you know, he's got rookie syndrome or whatever. I think that, I think you made a really good point that this could actually be uh, a late season, um, value spike for K makers. So well done there. Um, two other guys you want to bring up is Gus Edwards and Rashad Penny. I'm going to make a quick point on Rashad Penny first. And that is we have seen flashes in his relatively short career since he was selected in the first round by the Seahawks. Who knows how healthy he is right now? He's coming back from injury, a pretty big knee injury uh, late last year after almost stealing the job from Chris Carson but, you know, if DJ Dallas was able to do what he just did as a fourth round rookie with really no, uh, I don't think really much confidence in his talent ability um, or his talent or ability, I think Rashad Penny, if if remotely healthy and given some semblance of volume, could honestly step right into RB2, at the very least flex uh, value. And what else did you want to say about Rashad Penny, Jeff, and also Gus Edwards? Uh, no, that's pretty much it on Penny. Um, you know, just like, a deep league stash, or if you're, you know, kind of have the playoffs locked up, he's somebody that you can just put on the bench and see how things pan out, especially with all the injuries in the backfield. Gus Edwards, um, he's still just at eight and a half percent ownership on ESPN. And we've talked about how the Ravens are still kind of infatuated with him. And as long as Mark Ingram's out, like he's not an awful like flex play, especially when he and Dobbins are still splitting work pretty, pretty evenly, not, not sexy, but like, you know, he can get it done as injuries and bye weeks fill up. Yeah. I think it was two years ago. Gus Edwards had a nice, like fantasy playoffs or approaching the fantasy playoffs stretch of utility. He's a downhill runner. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a Jordan Howard situation. He does exactly what you would ask for, which is run really hard downhill. He's not going to do a whole lot other than that. He's not going to be a great passing option. But that's kind of exactly what Baltimore could. Yeah, he's a, an interesting player. If he sees 16 carries again, he's probably a pretty decent bet to continue to have somewhere between four to five and a half yards per carry. And, uh, you know, maybe a touchdown. He got that short touchdown from J.K. Dobbins as well. Um, OK, let's move on to wide receivers here, Jeff. And you want to kick it off with Alan Lazard back for Green Bay. 
Yep. So Alan Lazard and to a lesser extent, Michael Pittman, two receivers coming off of injuries that have been dropped. Um, they'll be stepping into relatively sparse wide receiver rooms. Obviously, there's Devontae Adams as the undisputed number one in Green Bay, but that number two role is pretty open. And with no Aaron Jones, who was a big receiving threat, um, no, Lazard could also fill some of that vacuum. Michael Pittman stepping in back from injury in Indianapolis. Um, you know, they drafted him at the top of the second round. I think he was overdrafted, but that also like, you know, doesn't necessarily matter if there's nowhere else for Philip Rivers to throw the ball. So like T.Y. Hilton has been injured and ineffective. Paris Campbell's out for the season. So, I mean, you know, volume. I mean, Pittman could just be stepping into like a 15, 20% target share, uh, which you was pretty tough to find off the waiver wire. And then in a similar but not same note, Kendrick Bourne is stepping in just to like in San Francisco and like what we've already discussed as being like a super banged up team. And as the wide receiver too, with no George Kittle, um, you know, he might be in like kind of like that wide receiver three flex start throw territory. Yeah, one one thing in Green Bay with Alan Lazard is that they are still sniffing around uh Will Fuller apparently around the trade deadline. I mean, I honestly can't believe that Houston is going to shop him considering the state of their team right now, but you know, maybe if the maybe if the price is right that they would consider it and just can try try to rebuild, but uh anyway, if Green Bay does acquire Will Fuller, then there's a decent chance that he emerges as the pr- the premier downfield threat. Um, you know, obviously Devontae Adams is going to get everything still, but Will Fuller is a great downfield threat. Rodgers is a really solid downfield thrower. Alan Lazard's uh, pretty decent volume would definitely take a hit in that event. But if it doesn't, or, you know, maybe even even just in the meantime, if Fuller gets acquired and doesn't play this week or something, Lazard, if healthy, should continue to be at least a usable flex option. Um, another wide receiver to point out here, Jeff, that you both you both of us are uh, are interested in is Jacoby Myers. Now, this was a guy taking people all the way back to last offseason or preseason. Rather, we talked to Bronny Betts about this guy. He was showing up all over in, in preseason games and, and training camp. Um, really interesting, deep, deep, deep sleeper from 2019. Didn't materialize into really anything. Right now, he appears to be the number one option in New England. Now, his last two weeks, six targets, four catches, 60 yards in week seven, 10 targets, six catches, 58 yards in week eight. We know this pass offense is struggling, but he's 25th in rock in the last three, and that includes one dud in, in week six. So, I mean, I think Jacoby Myers at the very least is someone to keep your eye on in DFS, maybe a desperation flex. Demir Bird has seen some good usage this year as well, and he's got a good uh, shower narrative with Cam back in their Carolina days. But I don't know. I mean, Jacoby Myers is an interesting ad at the very least. Uh, I don't think he's a priority by any means. But if you are starving for wide receiver depth, you could do worse. He saw 16 targets the last two weeks. So uh, anyone else you want to bring up in the wide receiver section here, Jeff? Uh, semi-breaking news. Andy Dalton just tested positive for COVID-19. So it looks like we have at least another week of uh, Denucci season. Obviously, first things first is hope that Dalton recovers healthy, no long-term impact. Right. Um, you know, secondly, though, like just from fantasy perspective, I mean, like how confident would you, they played the Steelers this week. How confident would you even be in like starting Zeke? Oh, not at you all. Know, not at like, all. Maybe like an RB2, right? We know that the ceiling is, we know that there's still a ceiling, but we also know there's basically no floor anymore. Um, one of the, one of the, 
the strongest things about Z coming into the season and just when every when everything is really there for him is that his floor is astronomical because he's getting all the rushing work. He's getting solid receiving work. We know he's a, he's a good talent, but he has not played to the level we've expected out of him based on the bar he set for himself the last few years. And the offensive line is is obviously one of the worst in the league right now. Uh, the quarterback situation is one of the worst in the league right now. I don't think that Zeke, I don't think you should be beholden to Zeke just because of the name value. Um, I would say flex play, honestly, Jeff. I mean, like, who would you ra- who would you rather play right now, Miles Gaskin or Zeke? Probably Gaskin. Oh, <laughs> Me too. I don't know. Well, Tua like wasn't that good this week, but um, back to the receiver waiver wire. Um, next two guys on my list are Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler. Tim Patrick was operating as the wide receiver one in Denver before missing this past week with an injury. Uh, A lot of people have dropped him. He's down below 30% ownership, but he'll be stepping into probably the wide receiver one role. And then KJ Hamler is like below 10% owned. Um, You know, he got some work this week, first game back really from injury, but um, super fast, you know, his ability to attack downfield should mesh pretty well with Drew Locke's kind of YOLO style. So I'd like him as kind of like a deep, uh, deeper play as well. And lastly, Denzel Mims, um, as our friend Kazor has dubbed him or Denzel Mims, Jets wide receiver, um, you know, second week back, wasn't anything spectacular from a fancy perspective, but, um, you know, he's flashed and again, you know, just consolidated target share, like, he should be able to like start putting up kind of like wide receiver three ish numbers down the stretch. What was weird was that he had a really good start to week eight and then he completely disappeared. And that's probably, you know, just based on what we know, it's probably a jets problem and not a him problem. But if he gets consistent volume, like, you know, Jameson Crowder has gotten consistent volume. If Denzel Mims gets consistent volume, I'm pretty excited just to see what he can do with that body. Cause if you remember, you know, he basically had a DK Metcalf esque combine 6'3", 205 pounds, if I remember correctly, but um, blazed in the 40, really good burst scores, everything. So uh, definitely a ceiling play there in terms of his athleticism. Um, Let's move on to the tight end section now, Jeff. And there's one guy I want to get to first, and that is a preemptive ad uh, for someone who is in playoff contention. This is not for someone who is needing to win right now because Austin Hooper is not going to play in week nine. Um, on they're on by, but he is recovering from his uh, appendectomy and his coach, Kevin Stefanski, said that he will definitely be ready for week 10. So I think it's a solid preemptive move to add him if he's available because he, is, you know, he was coming off great volume before that, you know, I guess freak situation where he, his appendix needs to be removed during the season. Uh, coming at coming off the buy without OBJ there to siphon off uh, additional volume. I think Austin Hooper is going to be in the running for, if not like already locked into their top receiving option by volume. So I think that he could be a tight end upgrade if he's out there. And I like his rest of season outlook, but Jeff, there's a couple of the guys that are worth mentioning. We already talked about Jordan Reed um, just as a replacement for George Kittle in that offense. If he gets added, definitely worth an ad, but there are a couple other guys you got your eyes on as well. Yep, so first one, someone we've mentioned um, on and off throughout the season is Logan Thomas. <clears throat> um, you know, he had actually pretty good peripherals with Kyle Allen, but was pro- um, and he scored a touchdown last game. The football team is coming off of a bye, so he was a, uh, dropped a lot. Um, you know, and he could 
step back into kind of like that decent streaming streaming range and he has all the athleticism that you kind of look for coming on the waiver wire and then the other player i kind of like is trey burton um you know again it's kind of just that indianapolis colts passing game doesn't have a lot of options frank reich really likes getting him the ball he was their goal line wildcat qb so i mean i guess anytime you can pick up a tight end who might just get like manufactured goal line looks like hey like you could do a lot worse off the waiver wire. Very, very true. Um, well said there. Let's let's wrap up now, Jeff, with our Bills recap from week eight. Obviously, that was a 24-21 win for Buffalo over New England in Buffalo. That is something you don't often hear. We don't often get to beat the New England Patriots. Obviously, different era now. Um, 20, 20 years of dominance deserves its its due. So, uh, But we'll take it, man. We'll take the new era here with Buffalo 6-2 and two now. Um, looking stronger and stronger, you know, we're starting to return to that early season form. I think now it's worth mentioning that new England probably, I mean, we, we should have gone to overtime. If I'm being honest, uh, new England was driving down three with a couple seconds left. Patriots decided to run it, uh, QB power to the left with Cam Newton. And he ended up fumbling on the play and bills came out on top. So, uh, what was your general takeaway from this game from a bills perspective? The one thing that stuck out to me is how much the Patriots defensive game plan has kind of changed the last couple of years in regards to Allen. Like last year, really Belichick just kind of would crowd the box and force Allen to beat him with his arm. And Allen wasn't really able to do that. And then they completely switched this year and played uh, a lot of, you know, like too high and uh, played pass first and said, Hey, like, you know, we're going to force you guys to beat us on the ground. And, you know, Zach Moss, he well, he did that. He had a yeah. he had a fantastic game. So, I mean, to me, that just speaks volumes to um, like I guess how much the perception around Allen as a passer has changed. That in within the span of one season, Bill Belichick, greatest defensive mind of all time, went from forcing Allen to beat him with his arm, where he was unable to, to not even really giving Allen the chance and forcing the team to beat them on the ground. Very well said. Um... And on Zach Moss, you know, the final stat line, with the exception of the two touchdowns, looks pretty even between Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. But to be honest, I think Moss has had a um, he's had an injury dogged, you know, first half of his rookie season. I think now that he's healthy, he looked better. I think that he's going to continue to get even work with motor going forward. And honestly, I would not be surprised at all if he ends up the RB1A by the end of the season. You and I have talked about this a lot, Jeff. We're on the same page here. Uh, we're both below Devin Singletary or below consensus on Singletary and above consensus on Moss going into the season. And it might finally be starting to come to fruition. So keep an eye on Zach Moss from a fantasy perspective as well. But I agree with you, man. It was encouraging to see how the Patriots game planned against Josh Allen. It also was encouraging to see that it didn't really work. I mean, he didn't have a great game by any means, but at the same time, you know, he was still able to get the ball out. He didn't have a disastrous performance like he did last year when he you know, was basically so reckless and playing hero ball that he got himself concussed and knocked out of the game. Um, but yeah, so, hey, six and two, man. Bills are still rolling. Uh, I think the momentum is starting to swing back in the Bills' favor here as I think just like more confidence in, on the defensive side is coinciding. As we're about to go get absolutely shredded by Russell Wilson. I mean, it's definitely possible, but <laughs> I also think that the Bills' passing offense has given us enough to be 
to be optimistic about us being able to capitalize on a really weak Seattle secondary. So I don't know, man. I mean, Russell Wilson's probably the best player in the league right now with the exception of Patrick Mahomes. But at the same time, I mean, Josh Allen has shown a ceiling. So it'll be interesting. We'll, we'll talk about a little bit later in the week about our Bills preview. But at the very least, we know the Bills are 6-2. and two. See, over under a 54 on that game. Over. <laughs> I guess weather could potentially play a factor this time of year, but I would say over. Anyway, Jeff, any final thoughts here as we wrap up episode 59, our week eight recap? No, no, just 10 more episodes to go. 10 more episodes <laughs> to the golden episode, baby. You thought episode 50 was a milestone. Wait till we get to episode 69. That will be the nicest one yet. Um, okay, good stuff here, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to tune into our week nine buys and sells later this week, as well as sign up for our contested catch up newsletter that goes out every Thursday. And then, of course, Jeff and I will wrap up the week with our week nine preview coming on Friday. So, if you need to reach us, you know where to find us at Buff Bill Stats for Jeff on Twitter, at Contested Catch for me. And, you know, make sure to check out the site as well, contestedcatch.com forward slash ROC. To use the rock score, contestedcatch.com forward slash DFS to use the DFS optimizer tool. So, with that said, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We wish you best of luck this week and on the waiver wire, and we hope to catch you next time.